All right. How's everyone doing? Woohoo! I'll take it. I love it. It's very, very, very exciting to be able to speak to everyone today and, uh, and, and humbling. <laughs> Um, I wanted to say, uh, just for those of you who don't know me, my name is Justin Worth, and I, yeah, and, uh, and I am the youth director here, and uh, recently I have become uh, an elder here, which is uh, staggering and exciting, yeah, very, very excited, and thank you for, if, for those that voted for me. Um, <laughs> And uh, it has been such a joy for my family to be here, to grow closer to this body of Christ, and to um, not only invest in it, but also to be invested um, by everyone here. And so I'm just so thankful for everyone, and uh, and just amazed that I would be able to uh, be able to share this with you today. You know, this is us. Uh, this is us going right out to, to summer camp, and uh, they are wonderful, wonderful students. And we are just so grateful that we can uh, not just, like Roger was saying, not just play games, but also to actively talk about God and, and the deep questions. And I, I got to say that our group definitely gets into those deeper questions. And uh, over camp, we talked about heaven, and we talked about eternity, and you know, how does how does somebody get there, and and what does it even mean, and what, what are we going to do when we're there. And uh, other things that we've done this, uh, this summer is we have, uh, we did a Bob Ross themed painting party, which was, so, so we are also having a lot of fun uh, together. And, um, and then starting next, uh, or starting last week, we started the Scarlet Thread. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's just a look at all of the t- places that Jesus shows up in the Old Testament. And um, you know, our goal is to equip the students, not only with uh, what they need to have uh, and be lifelong lovers of Christ, but you know, what does it even mean to be a lover of Christ? And so we are just so, so grateful that we can do all of that. Uh, today, I get to share the gospel with you. So if you have not heard of the gospel, this is going to be fantastic. For those of you who've been in church for a long time, this is also fantastic because it is great to hear what the gospel is. And so because I am a teacher by trade, pop quiz, pop quiz. All right, please turn to your neighbor and tell them in 34 seconds or less, what is the gospel? And bonus points for anyone who knows what gospel means. Ready, set, go. All right, that feels like 34 seconds. So hopefully everyone had a uh, good answer. Uh, if not a good answer, a answer. Uh, a answer. <laughs> Recently, uh, it's, it's summer and I'm a teacher, and so I have some time off. And uh, we're part of a homeschool community, and so we had an opportunity to go to the beach. And I was like, yeah, I'll come to the beach. This is going to be great. And I go to the beach, and I'm talking to everybody. And yeah, right there, actually. Um, it's like right next to Baby Beach in uh, Dana Point. And uh, very quickly, it was clear that, uh, that I was the only uh, dad that was there, and uh, everyone had conversations that they were already a part of, so I got bored uh, pretty quickly, uh, pretty quickly, which is okay, you know, it's all right. I was like, I'm going to go, it's a beautiful day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go walk around and just enjoy this, this beautiful, uh, you know, the shade and, and the sky, and, and, you know, just, it was wonderful. And uh, so I'm sitting down, and I'm praying, and I am thinking, I'm like, you know, this is a great time, I have, I have time, uh, this would be a good time to share the gospel. Uh, with somebody. And I said, to the, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, if, if you are interested in me sharing the gospel with anyone, uh, would you send anybody my way? And I would just be happy to sit here and, uh, and talk with them. And 30 seconds later, <laughs> I see these two ladies, uh, older ladies, coming from the park, and they are walking straight towards the bench that I'm at. I was like, okay, well, this is, this is going to be one of those opportunities. And then they get closer and closer, and they say, uh, can we sit with you? <laughs> and I said, you know, as a matter of fact, you can. I would love it if you sat with me. And uh, I, we, we just were talking, and I'm, you know, just, you know, just a 
where are you from? What are you doing here today? How's your summer? And things like that. And, uh, but in the back of my mind, I know, hey, I'm, I'm going to share the gospel with them. And so uh, I want I wanted to get a, like a transitional point. How do I go from, you know, just talking about the weather to actually uh, talking about the gospel? And so I said to these ladies, I said, um, can I ask you a question? Do you, uh, do you have a church that you go to? Um, and one of the ladies said, uh, no, I don't have a church. I don't, I don't go to church. I've never gone to church. Um, but uh, but I, pray to I pray all, all the time. I pray all the time. I was like, oh, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, and, uh, and to the other lady, she's like, oh, I have, yeah, I, I love my church. I love my church. I was like, oh, that, that's, that's so good. That's so good. I said, um, you know, would it be okay if I, if I shared with you the gospel? Um, and the lady, the first lady who doesn't go to church, she's like, Yes, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading them. Uh, and I said, no, 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 the, the gospel isn't just the four books, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah, it is. Uh, the, the gospel means the good news. And I said, ladies, have you heard the good news message? Um, and the first lady was like, no. And the second lady was like, yes? <laughs> kind of like a question mark. And I said, oh, I'm like, this is, this is perfect. And I said, um, I said, let me ask you a question. And so, you know, this is all for us as well. And as you're thinking about, hey, how can I share the gospel? These are some easy ways to do it. I said, you know, if I was a doctor and I was looking at you and I saw on the outside, you looked perfect. You looked great. Healthy, fit, strong. Everything looked good. But if I had an x-ray that showed that on the inside there was critical damage and a terminal disease, I said, but I also had an antidote. Do you think I should give the antidote first or should I show the x-ray? And they're like, give me the antidote. I said, oh. I said, well, the thing is, is that if I said to you, you know, who already looks good and you're feeling good about yourself, um, hey, I have this antidote for you, <laughs> would you take it? And they're like, oh, I guess not. I said, well, I said let, me, let me just, let me just, let's look at the Bible and let's see what the Bible says. And I said uh, to the first lady, I said, have you ever said a lie, even one? Oh, yeah. yeah. And the other lady, she's like, oh, yeah, all the time. I said, okay. <laughs> If I said a lie, or if I said lies a lot, what would you call me? You'd be a liar, yeah. <laughs> I said, what, what would that make you? And she's like, a liar. I said, okay, all right, all right. I said, have you ever stolen anything, even if it's small? Yeah, yeah, I've stolen something. But that was a long time ago in the past. And I was like, well, this conversation started in the past. You know, she's like, yeah. I said, now, if I stole something, what would you call me? A thief, yeah. I said, well, what would that make you? And she's like, a thief. I was like, no, it makes you a lying thief. <laughs> they were really patient. They were, they were very kind. And, you know, I said, um, I said, you know, have, have you ever said the Lord's name in vain? Well, what do you mean? I was like, you know, like OMG and things like that. And she's like, oh yes, all of the time. I was like, that's so weird. Like, right. Like, would you ever use your mom's name in, in like the place of like the SH word? Like you hit your, you know, your thumb with a hammer. Martha. <laughs> No, I said, but you would use God's name for that? Oh, yeah, I guess, I guess not. Why wouldn't you use your mom's name? She's like, I respect her. So why do you use Christ's name? Oh, I don't know. I was like, maybe it's, you know, you, that, that is, we call that blasphemy. So, you know, not take, taking God's name and treating it as holy. I said, now, look, I, you know, we looked at three of the uh, Ten Commandments. Uh, if God judged you just by those three, would you be innocent or would you be guilty? Guilty. I was like, heaven or hell? Well, heaven, I want to go to heaven. <laughs> I said, me too, me too, me too. I said, uh, I said the good news is that the gospel is uh, about Jesus Christ and that fact that he comes and he has lived a perfect life, the life that you couldn't live. Every time you told a lie, he didn't tell a lie, right? Every time you stole something, even if it was small, you know, Jesus didn't. 
right? And every time you blasphemed, every time that you did, he didn't. Um, and so we, you know, we get to exchange um, his righteousness for our sin. And they're like, oh, wow. And then I got to spend another hour just answering all of their questions. <laughs> it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah, it was totally amazing. And, you know, that is where we begin today. And if you actually open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, it is, uh, it's up here on the board as well, but that's a lot of text. And, uh, and if there's any parts you want to highlight or, or note, uh, you're certainly good to, to do all of that as well. But, you know, we're going to be looking at this idea and the fact that Paul, after speaking to the Corinthians in this letter, uh, he has the opportunity to talk about salvation and, you know, and I want to encourage all of you that although it is very scary to go and talk to people about the gospel and, you know, ask them if they're sinners and then tell them that they're going to hell, that, that is a scary thing and it is not always successful. That was actually one of the better conversations I've ever had. Um, yeah. they, they, were, they were primed. I was like, that was, that was a totally Lord thing. But is it important to do that? It's very important, and, and Paul is making that clear for us as well. Um, so, uh, would you just follow along with me? I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to break it down into, into smaller chunks here. First one. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Paul, by the way, uh, to the twelve. I said Paul, I meant Peter. Uh, Cephas is Peter, sorry. Uh, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, that grace we just sang about, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. And whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. And that is, again, kind of two parts of this message here is that, you know, we ought to be preaching uh, to everybody, and uh, we also ought to be believing rightly and not in vain. So for the next three hours, uh, I'm going to try to take us through as... It's a a bad old joke, but I'll still use it every time. Uh, No, for for the next uh, bit here, we're going to talk about that, and uh, and hopefully the Lord will press on you exactly what he's been pressing on me this last week. One of the ways that my mind works is that I I have difficulty answering questions uh, directly. If someone asks me my opinion, I'll say, okay, well, my opinion is, but then I have to like go way back and give all the context for the opinion and like, and point out how all of these things come together. How many of you, that is, describes the the way that you you tend to answer questions? A couple, I got some head nods and some, very good, very good. So when uh, Roger asked me to preach this, uh, he, I said, okay, I, I can do that. But as I was going through this, I was like, I can't just go forward. I have to go backwards. So uh, I'm going to go forward. I'm going to go backwards, and then I'm going to go forwards. When Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, it wasn't delivered to them piece by piece over the last year like we've been doing, right? It takes one hour to read this book uh, as like an average reader. 
And so, very likely, the elders would read the letter. I'm like, oh my gosh. And then the elder would read the letter to the, to the congregation, the church at Corinth, and then they would receive it, and then they would probably spend the next year or time just going over and regaling over all of the points in the letter. And so for us, it, it, it was helpful for me to figure out where, did, where has Paul taken us between uh, chapters 1 through 14, and ultimately, how do we arrive here in chapter 15? And so as Paul has told them uh, from ver- chapter 1, we see that, um, yeah, right here, over here, um, he says, you know, you have to knock off all of these divisions that you're having, and you have to stop elevating one teacher over another. You should expect the world to call your beliefs foolish and that God has chosen you, the weak and the marginalized, in order to shame the wisdom of the proud. He said that they have to remove the incestuous couple that was in their midst. And he reminded them that a little leaven, a little leaven will spread through the whole lump of dough. And more than that, he said to flee from sexual immorality uh, that was so rampant in their pagan society. If you don't know, uh, the church of Corinth, or the uh, Corinth itself, was essentially, if you were looking for like a modern um, equivalent, it was more like Las Vegas, right? Lots of shows, lots of brothels, uh, lots of gambling, temples, theater, uh, all manner of pleasure-seeking. That is what the city of, uh, of Corinth was like. And that was where God had planted his church. <laughs> and so these were the people who, you know, were coming out of that, uh, those lifestyles. Paul said that they ought to glorify God with their bodies rather than giving in to those temptations that they had spent their lives giving into. He gave advice on marriage and singleness, and he said that we ought to be wise about our Christian liberty. Just because you can do it doesn't mean that you should do it. And in the last few weeks, we've been talking about spiritual gifts, the operation of Christian ministry, and how the ultimate purpose of those gifts and that the way that the church ought to run is to be done for the sake of love. Right? Everything that we do, every, all the reasons why we come here, everyone who participated in VBS, we didn't do it out of like, oh, we got to play with kids and teach them the gospel. Okay, well, here we come. No, we were excited to do it. It was a joy because we love children and we love to see them grow. We love to see them uh, learn. So that is the on-ramp onto uh, chapter 15. And Paul begins to close the letter by putting all of that aside and he leads them back to the most important message. Okay, all of the, everything that I just said is totally true, but let's make sure that we're talking about the gospel. So back to verses one and two, he says, now I would remind you brothers of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the words I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. What words are Paul using here? What is he emphasizing to the Corinthian church about, what them, about, about them? He's saying, you received, you are standing, you are holding fast to this gospel that I have preached to you. Each of these words is an active statement, and he is reminding them, this is what you are doing. This is what it means to be a Christian. We receive the gospel, we stand on the authority of it, and we hold fast to it as though we were clinging to a life preserver in the middle of the ocean, right? It's a storm, it's rocking. Would you let go if you were in that uh, place? Would you grip on tightly? It's easy, I think, in the, in the modern Western church or just in modern Western world to think like things are going well. 
And we don't see the spiritual battlefield that is going on all around us. We don't see the dangers that we're in. Everything just looks nice. And yet, in reality, it is a war zone and we are people who are in it. That's right. (laughs) This is what Christians do. And then Paul says, I think maybe the most gripping line in uh, in these opening verses here. This isn't where Paul leaves his readers, and it's not where I'm going to leave you either. He says this, Now you know that all of this is true unless you believed in vain. Unless you believed in vain. Paul knew, and I think we can assume that this is true based off of all of the problems that were happening in the church, that there were members who were there, who were part of the church, who might have even been part of like the active ministry group, who were not believing rightly, who were maybe marginally related to the gospel, or who were just completely unbelievers, and yet they were there at the church themselves. They weren't actually saved. They were superficially and shallowly part of the group. It made them look like they were a part of the church, but in reality, they were so far away from it. And growing up, uh, here's a picture of me, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes, yes. As me at 18. (laughs) Like, what does that guy look like? Yeah, that, that was me at 18. Uh, growing up, I went to a large Presbyterian church. Any Presbyterians, by the way? A former Presbyterians? One, a few, okay, a couple of us. That's why we stand still while we sing, just in case, you, in case you're wondering. Um, we went to a large Presbyterian church, and if you would have asked me was I would, was a Christian, the answer, of course, would have been... Yes, you are correct. Yes, you, you saw where that was going, yes. If you would have asked me, I was definitely a Christian. Did I do anything Christian? I mean, I went to church, you know. (laughs) Did I believe the sorts of things that uh, Christians believed? I mean, I knew about the information. You know, I'll tell you, I'll I'll level with you, you know, just because we're we're so close here. The thing that I was most excited about with church were the girls. Yeah, we're we're the girls. See, a lot of smiles. People kind of know what I'm talking about. I went to church every, I was there every Wednesday for the 10.30, uh, Sunday for the 10.30 service. I was there for the leadership council on Tuesdays. I made sure to be a part of that. Uh, Every Wednesday, I was there for the youth group and all of the games, and I went to every event that was going on. But did I actually believe the things that I said that I was believing? I look back at it now, and I very highly question whether or not my profession was real. I'd said the prayer, right? I did it. I wanted Jesus in my heart. Okay, now he's there. And then I did whatever I wanted the rest of the week, right? I lived like I didn't actually believe. I lived like, like the Holy Spirit didn't actually reside in me. And it's funny too, because like I, can, I can remember moments where I'm like, I am going to sin, but I, it's cool. I can just say, you know, forgive me, and then we're good. We were not good, by the way. <laughs> You know, like I said, the thing I was most interested in was hanging out with my friends. It was really just a social club uh, for me, a, a, a marginally uh, moral social club that, that our church was a part of. Um, you know, there was a lot of uh, hooking up at camps, which is pretty tragic. Not so much with me, but, you know, actually not with me, just so we're clear. Right? <laughs> just so we're clear. There was, there was a couple that got pregnant uh, at, a, uh, at a beach camp. Um, that, was, that was just before my time. Um, people would go drinking on Saturday and then singing worship songs on Sunday. Everyone that I was, I was with. And, and again, maybe, maybe this is like, it kind of hits a, a little close to home because maybe you recognize your own uh, shallowness as well. Maybe not now, hopefully not now, uh, but maybe as a, as a younger person. 
it's a, it's a, it's a funny thing to be a part of a church and to go for the wrong reasons. And it's, it's a weird thing to claim one thing is true and then live like it's not. And so, uh, although this might ruffle some feathers in here, I, I feel like it's good to ruffle feathers. I wish somebody had ruffled my feathers. I wish somebody had, like even my youth pastor had, had been like, hey, you know, Justin, we see you talking about these things. Um, what's going on? Do you believe in vain? And so I will just ask what the Bible asks you, and I will ask uh, you to ask it to your own heart. Are you believing in vain? To be totally fair, I would rather you be offended by me saying that than for you to reach judgment and have been believing wrongly. So this is really a, an important thing to do. One of our students uh, asked, I think about two weeks ago, if, uh, how do I know I'm a Christian? How do I know? You know, because we, we talk about this. What is, what is a true believer? What does is, what is saving faith look like? And I am really glad that the Bible gets to answer the question and I don't have to answer it. Um, the, the Bible is fantastic. I would just encourage you all right now, make a, make a note, make a note. It's one of the shorter books of the Bible, but I would strongly encourage you all to read the book of 1 John this week. 1 John is one of the most profound, profound. This is, John, the, 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 the disciple of love, the apostle of love, uh, has some of the most glaring and uh, intense commandments and, and statements about what it means to be saved. And, and for the sake of time, I'm just going gonna, gonna to read kind of the, the key points here. If you want to take a picture and just, you know, pull up the verses later on, that would also be really good. But when talking about how do you know that you are not believing in vain, these are the things that should mark your life. These are the things that should mark your life. Do you enjoy having fellowship with Christ and his redeemed people? Right? Is that a joy for you to be around other Christians and doing Christian things? Would people say that you walk in the light or that you're walking in darkness? Do you admit and confess your sin or do you believe that you have no sin to confess? Are you obedient to God's word or do you do what the culture does? And I will just say this, this, this I heard this a long time ago and it's, it's always struck me. You can never say, no, Lord. Because if you can say no, he's not your Lord. Do you love or hate the world? And did you know that if you love it, the love of the Father is not in you? Is your life characterized by doing what is right? Do you seek to maintain a pure life? Do you see a decreasing pattern of sin in your life? And again, there, there will be no perfection on this side of eternity. You will never see that, right? But what you should see is a decreasing amount of sin and a certainly a deeper hatred of the sin that you see within yourself. Do you demonstrate love for other Christians? Do you walk the walk or do you just talk the talk? Do you maintain a clear conscience? And do you experience victory in your Christian walk. I, I, I'm telling you, it is so worth your time to read the book of 1 John and then allow it to read you. Allow it to read you. The word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the, you know, the division of the spirits and the soul, to the, the flesh and the marrow, and it, it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When you read the Bible, it cuts right down and it, it reveals to you what are you believing and are you believing rightly? So I would just encourage you to do that this week. And so when I asked those two ladies at the park, do you believe, 
um, that you know the gospel? And do you believe that you can get into heaven? And they both told me, yeah, we can get there because we are good enough. I talk to God every day. No. The only people who believe rightly are when they see Christ on the cross. Christ on the cross. I put the T in the wrong part. Um, When they see Christ on the cross, they see their sins punished there. All of them. And that's that's the good news. Okay, that was the heavy part of the sermon. (laughs) We're going to shake it off a little bit. Okay. There's uh, verses 3 through 11 now swinging in a different direction. So we're going to take a look at at that part. Uh, Going back to verse 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And these are the things that Christians believe. They believe that Jesus was a real person. Okay, that has to be part of that. They realize that, that he is a fully man, but also fully God, that when he lived a perfect life, uh, it was totally righteous, and that we have the opportunity to exchange our sins for that righteousness. That is why he came to earth. He doesn't do it begrudgingly. He looks at the cross and viewed it as joy, the joy set before him to endure this for anyone who would believe uh, in that exchange. We believe that, that he died, and we believe that he rose again three days later, as he promised he would, and as scripture is, was fulfilled. But these are also the things that non-believers are going to attack. People that don't know the gospel are going to attack each of those different parts of that sentence there. And Roger's going to go over that next week, and uh, I briefly want to go over some of the claims that uh, skeptics hold, and, uh, and then you can decide whether or not uh, they're, you know, what they're holding is valid. So the first theory that we're going to look at here is this idea called the swoon theory. The swoon theory. The swoon theory states that Jesus didn't actually die didn't actually die. Uh, He just passed out. He just passed out. This theory, however, is laughably false (laughs) because the Romans were professional killers, right? Specifically, those people that that crucified him, they knew their job. That was their job. Um, They gave Christ 39 lashes. 40 plus would have been a death sentence on its own. They nailed his wrists and his feet between the metatarsals at the cross He felt his lungs fill up with fluid as he hung there for six hours, and uh, he was slowly uh, suffocating and dying of carbon dioxide poisoning. And then, just to make sure that the job was was done, uh, they took a spear and they stuck it under his ribs and into his heart, and uh, he he bled both blood and water. But then, he was put into a tomb, cold, damp tomb, and the people who believe in the swoon theory said that taking all of that punishment... That was okay because he was just passed out. So, you know, the funny thing is, is that if we actually hold this to be true, we should actually close all emergency rooms and just replace them by cold, damp tombs. And we can just put people in there and they will just magically heal by themselves, right? Because you would have to believe that a gunshot victim or a chainsaw accident, what they really need is just a cold, damp place to sit for three days and then they will, you know, miraculously heal themselves. So, no, laughably false. The second one is the wrong tomb theory. This theory states that Jesus was placed in one tomb, but then the Roman guards just happened to forget which one they put him in. And then they rolled a stone in front of a different one, and then they just stood in the wrong uh, area. This theory only works if we assume that people in the first uh, century were stupid. (laughs) 
that they didn't know where they were. And essentially, it was like losing my keys. Where did I, where did I put them? Or, or where did I park the car? We'll just stand in front of this one. Okay, no, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty bad. The third one, I think, is the most popular one uh, held by skeptics. And we're going to spend probably the most time on this one. But it's the legend theory. The legend theory states that the disciples bribed the guards to take the body, which is a crime punishable by death for those guards. So there would, there would be no motivation for the guards to receive any bribe. Then they hid the body. Then they sent word that Jesus had resurrected just like he had said he was and that um, nothing actually happened. But there's just a legend that sprung up around this. This is the one that skeptics most um, hold true to, uh, that it's just, it's all fiction. It's myth. Um, but it, it is perhaps my favorite one to dismantle and to walk people through. So I'm going to do that for you right now. And if you have an opportunity to share that with somebody, um, you'll be able to share these things. Let's look at verses four through eight. And, uh, and then this really cool map here. Paul, Paul lays out not only the gospel, but he also proves its authenticity with eyewitness accounts. And so verses four through eight says, he was buried and he was raised on the third day, according to the scripture. And he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. And so looking at this map here, you can see up and down Judea and Galilee, Jesus appeared to hundreds of people and changed their lives um, as he encountered them. I mean, talk about like absolute excitement that what you believe is true, right? We believe in faith because of what we've, we've read and what we've seen and, and heard and also what the Lord's done in our lives. But they believed it, that as well, but they also had the benefit of seeing Jesus face to face. How were their lives changed? And how can we know that this is not merely just a legend or a myth? They left what they were doing and devoted themselves to proclaim this truth that they had seen the risen Christ. That meant that they had to bear the expulsion from the synagogues and were excommunicated from fellow Jewish believers. At the time, if you were excommunicated from the church, it meant that your businesses were over and done, that your life essentially in that community was over. Because no, you would be a pariah. No one would want to be near you. You're the one that can't be associated with anymore. These people gave up their friends, their best friends. They gave up their parents. They gave up their siblings and their spouses and their children. And we would have to believe that they gave all of those things up just because? They said that they saw the risen Christ. And then they bore the consequences of believing that he had risen from the dead. You know, as we think about the disciples, if you, uh, if you know what happened to the disciples afterwards, uh, it's just a, a graphic. You can, again, take a picture, or you can just find that online. It's pretty easy. But um, every single one of the disciples um, had an encounter with the risen Lord. And every single one of them um, received a, a just reward from the world. They died by beheading, crucifixion. They were speared. They were stabbed, they were stoned, they were set on fire. John was actually dropped into a vat, a cauldron of boiling oil. Um, but he survived, obviously, because he writes the book of Revelation and uh, dies on Patmos. Um, 
But not one of them changed their story. Not one of them changed their story. They received deaths that are so excruciating that you and I, I don't know, just kind of just hiss and wince at the thoughts of any one of those. And they, they didn't change. They didn't recant their story. Why not? Because if the resurrection was a hoax, then we have to assume that this conspiracy of sad, desperate people was worth trading everything that they could possibly enjoy in life for a lie. They would have to know it was a lie, and they would have to still lose everything for that lie. Would you? It's easy to die for a lie that you don't know is a lie, right? If someone tells you, go this way, that's the right direction, and then you go off a cliff or something like that, you're like, oh my gosh, how did that happen? Like, they, they lied to you, and that's why you went off the cliff. But it is very different to know that the cliff's over there and then to, to say, well, you know, I'm going to go that way anyways. Skeptics have to ask them, themselves, who, who would do this? Who would willingly trade everything for a lie? Um, better yet, you know, who could do that? Who could do that? Uh, how many of you remember the Watergate scandal? Several. Or studied it in school? Uh, that's Chuck Colson. He's a real guy. He was one of the conspirators of the Watergate scandal. He went to prison for it, and it uh, ultimately led to the resignation of Richard Nixon. And while in prison, he became a born-again Christian. And one of the reasons why he became a born-again Christian was because of the conspiracy. And this is what he said. I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Absolutely impossible. And he wasn't even facing death, right? He was just facing jail. Just jail. I would take jail over, you know, like being burned alive. So the unbelieving world is always going to be looking for proofs for Christ. They will, they will always look for some way to say that he either never existed or he never raised from the dead. He was a good teacher. He's not a good teacher, right? C.S. Lewis says, no, Jesus cannot be a good teacher because he would either have to be a liar, which you shouldn't believe, crazy, which you shouldn't believe, or who he actually was. But you can't just say he was a good teacher. You can't just say he was a good teacher. He was divine. The kingdom of darkness is always looking to lead people astray and away from Christ. But Jesus is alive. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. He is not in the grave. He is? He is alive or risen. I'll take both. <laughs> As a teacher, you have to accept lots of answers. <laughs> Our faith is not in vain. He is alive. He is risen. And better yet, our forgiveness of our sins is only because of that death and that resurrection that he demonstrated for us. He loves every one of his children, calls them his own, and gladly bore that. Looks at you and said, this is how much I love you. Paul was concerned that some in the Corinthian church did not yet believe or they were only marginally believing or they were believing in vain, and that they were holding on to the wrong thing, thinking their goodness could get them to heaven. Our faith is not just a secondary thing. Our faith is not just like, we kind of hope it's true. We know it's true. 
Professor Thomas Arnold, the author of uh, the famous three-volume History of Rome and the professor of modern history at Oxford, said, the evidence for our Lord's life and death and resurrection may be and often has been shown to be satisfactory. It is good according to the common rules for distinguishing good evidence from bad. Thousands and tens of thousands of persons have gone through it piece by piece as carefully as every judge summing up on a most important clause. I have myself done it many times over, not to persuade others, but to myself, satisfy myself. I have been used for many years to study the histories of other times and to examine the weight, the evidence of those who have written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which can be proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer than the great sign which God hath given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. The proof of Christ's resurrection is there. And the Bible doesn't give people wiggle room to, you know, not believe. If you're waiting in the courtroom, waiting for the judge to hand down the judgment, here's the judgment. Christ died and he rose again. And the Bible is true. And it is proved thousands upon thousands of times, and it has been proved in every single believer's heart supernaturally. So Paul began this section by reminding the readers that the privilege and honor to share the gospel to the lost world, and I would just encourage you all today, you get that privilege, you don't have to wait for permission. You can have these conversations with people. You can tell them the good news of the gospel because it is the best news. It's my joy to sh- it was my joy to share to those two ladies at the beach two weeks ago. And so I'm going to conclude with what I said to them. And I said to them, look, I'm not going to lead you in a prayer. I'm not going to say, repeat after me, Jesus. But rather, I'm going to ask you to ask yourself, is what I said true? Does it ring inside of you as the most true thing that you've ever heard? Do you realize that you need to be reconciled with with God and God loves you so much he sent me to tell you, today's the day, today's the day. Go before him, ask him to show you your standing with him. He will reveal himself to you. And I asked them, I said, what are you trusting in? What, What profession are you holding on to that would assure you that you can go to heaven? I know you want to be there, but what are you holding on to? And I, you know, I said, you have to repent. You have to take your belief that you're good enough and you have to say, I'm not good enough. You have to take the, the sins that you commit and you have committed and you have to say, I can't do these things to, and, I, and please my Lord. I have to make a choice. Paul says, have you believed in vain? And I say it to all of us, have you believed in vain? Today's the good day, though. Every day, mercies are what? They're new. They're new. Jesus is alive. He is coming to save his people from eternal death. And while for his enemies, he is also coming, but as their judge and executioner. 
The Bible calls us to examine ourselves through the law and to put in a plea of guilty before it and then to ask the judge for mercy. And he says, yes. God, full of justice and grace, transfers our sins onto Christ and he bears it. The manliest man in history bore those sins. What a great God. What a great Savior. What a tremendous blessing. And so going right back to verses 1 and 2, all of us receive, stand fast on this holy ground and hold fast to God's word or know that you are believing in vain. Would you pray with me? Lord, what a tremendous blessing to share your good news with everyone that's gathered here today, with everyone that's watching online. I pray, Lord, that you would be that shining light in our hearts, in our minds, speaking to us, confirming to us that our belief is true and real and right, that we have found peace and forgiveness with you. But Lord, I pray that you would ring like a unceasing bell, warning, warning, that for those that have not made the exchange or have found themselves believing in vain, that they would make today the day of salvation. We love you. We praise you. And it's all God's people say, amen.